All right, this week we are in Ruth 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are my Redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a Redeemer, yet there is a Redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it out, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Good morning. Welcome to our post-Easter service. You know, if you look at trend lines for attendance at churches, Easter's like the big one, and then right after Easter it goes, <laughs> and we're no different. We, we always do things kind of counter-cultural here, so that's why I had a guest speaker for Easter instead of me speaking, and then I'm here when pastors usually kind of want to speak on Easter, and then they have a guest speaker right after. Not me. Let's pray. God, thanks for your word. What a beautiful book. And we pray, Holy Spirit, for you to speak to us through it. So many things that we can glean from your word. And God, may you minister exactly where people are at right now, what they want to hear, not necessarily what comes out of my lips, but as you minister in such a dynamic way to each person individually and personally. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a quick recap, and it'll be a very quick recap, just to kind of catch you up to chapter 3 here. Chapter 1 ended on a pretty bad note for uh, Naomi and Ruth, the main characters of our story here. They came into Bethlehem as these poor, grieving widows. And Naomi, whose name means pleasant, enters into the city and starts telling people around there, call me Mara, because it means bitter. 
So obviously she senses and feels this bitterness within her. Ruth is a Moabite and a people group just not looked very favorably by the Israelites. And she found herself in this foreign land, away from all that is familiar to her, away from her family. And the only ray of hope is that they came in during this time of harvest, which meant there was going to be food available to them because the law provided this provision for widows and the poor. And the very thing that drove them from the land, uh, Elimelech and Naomi, was this famine. And what's bringing them back is this opportunity of harvest, chapter 1. Chapter 2 ended on a pretty good note for Naomi and Ruth. It was the end of the harvest, but during that time of harvesting, Ruth found favor in the eyes of the field owner, Boaz, who was also a redeemer. Now, what is a redeemer in this context? Well, we need to look at an Old Testament picture that will give us and help us with this context. It's this picture of the redeemer, which translated into Hebrew, it's this word ga'al. And so this verb means to redeem or to act as a kinsman redeemer. And a kinsman redeemer means to act as a kinsman, meaning that you are going to do your part as the next of kin. And so the Mosaic law made provision in these circumstances in order to carry on a family name, in order to address legal aspects of family assets, such as property or livestock or valuables. So if you look at these two books, Deuteronomy and Leviticus. First, let's take a look at Deuteronomy 25, verse 5. And it reads, If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. And then if you look at Leviticus chapter 25, verse 25, it reads, If your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. And then if you jump to verses 47 through 49 in Leviticus 25, If a stranger or sojourner with you becomes rich and your brother besides him becomes poor and sells himself to the stranger or sojourner with you or to a member of the stranger's clan, then after he is sold, he may be redeemed. One of his brothers may redeem him or his uncle or his cousin may redeem him or a close relative from his clan may redeem him. Or if he grows rich, he may redeem himself. So a redeemer had responsibilities to retain the family assets and to protect, provide care for those in the family who needed it. And in this case of Naomi and Ruth, widows from Elimelech's family, and through the Mosaic law, God preserved his people. Now, here we are, Ruth chapter 3. Naomi really loved Ruth. And she wanted the best for her. She showed her her concern for her. If you look back to Ruth chapter 1, verses 11 through 13, she said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. So this concern that Naomi had for her daughters, in this case Ruth, never left her. She deeply loved Ruth. And in chapter 3, we see her maternal instincts kicking in here. She knew there was a Redeemer nearer than Boaz who was to be considered before Boaz. She wanted what was best for Ruth, though. And so far, she has seen a really, really good man in Boaz. And she was offering some 
e-harmony tips to Ruth here, right? So it's, it's all about e-Naomi right now, okay? Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? In other words, girl, let me tell you something. Mama knows some things you don't know. And so it's not that Naomi was telling her to be all hoochie or something right here, right? That's not what... Because, you know, people get the wrong idea sometimes. They're reading this stuff and they're thinking, like, oh, what's going on? And going to where he sleeps, oh. And uncovering his feet, oh my gosh. Like, oh. Lying down, oh. There's nothing sexual going on here. There's nothing hoochie here, right? Naomi knew what she was doing. And she wasn't going to compromise Ruth's integrity. She loves her really deeply, right? Verse 2, Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Naomi's a smart cookie, right? She's a smart woman. E-harmony has nothing on Naomi, right? She knew how this winnowing, threshing of barley worked, right? Threshing took place when things got windy. That's the only time you can thresh. Otherwise, it's not going to work. And so this happened in the late afternoon or or the early evening when the winds from the sea started to blow in because of the differences in temperature. And so that's when the winnowing would take place. That's when the threshing would take place. And that's when Boaz and his crew, they would head out to thresh. And they'd throw up the grain that was trodden by the animals and into the air so this wind would blow the husks and separate them from the grain. And so separating the edible from the inedible. And so Naomi knew this and she knew things that would attract Boaz to Ruth. Verse 3, Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. So in other words... Clean up. You stank it, right? Because, you know, she's been working and you don't, you don't bathe that much. So she... Smell good. Smell good. Dress up. You go to where he's at and you be courteous. Be courteous to let Boaz eat, to let Boaz drink before you show your clean, good-smelling self, cute-outfitted, courteous self to him. That's just good practical advice. That's good stuff on how to be attractive. I mean, that's right there. So... Naomi had it going on, and if any of you are having trouble attracting a mate, just right there. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself. Don't be all stanky and look all whatever. Anyway, you know, Naomi's been out of the game for a while, right? I mean, she's older. But she probably was like all-star status back in her day, right? Because she has more. Verse 4. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Now, take note of where he lies down. Because you don't want to go to the wrong guy. We are looking for Boaz, right? Not dumbass, right? So, so make sure, make sure you got the right guy. Make sure you got the right guy. So otherwise, you know, all this cleaning up and, and smelling good and dressing up and being courteous, that's all for naught if you end up with the wrong guy. So if you have a picture of some seduction thing going on here, you need to stop. You're dirty. Stop, right? So it's not like Ruth was there and like spooning Boaz, right? It's not, it's not, she was proposing to Boaz the idea of fulfilling the role as a redeemer. Speaking of a redeemer, do you notice how God is a God of redemption? That even through our mistakes, He redeems them. And Naomi's sons were not supposed to marry Moabites. That was prevented because they would have had the likelihood of leading them away from God. So yet, 
Here was God redeeming the poor choices of Elimelech, Ruth, and their sons. Ruth, a Gentile, was redeemed by God, and and a kinsman redeemer, Boaz. And that doesn't justify our willful decisions to make poor decisions. Because when we make those poor decisions, when we make those foolish decisions, we will still suffer the consequences of those poor decisions, of our rebellion. But our God is so loving that our poor choices, they don't define us when we submit our lives to Him. Right? Our bad circumstances, such as the famine that led Naomi's family out of Bethlehem, they don't define us because we have a God of redemption. Now back to verses 3 and 4. You notice how Naomi's countenance, it's changed from chapter 1 to chapter 3. Naomi's name means pleasant. But in chapter 1, verse 20, she told the people to call her Mara. It means bitter. But things have started to change because we have this God of redemption. And Naomi had a hand to play in this as well. God allowed her the dignity to partner with him in pulling her out of that bitterness. And so we find that Naomi wasn't resigned to living a poor life of a bitter widow anymore. She recognized a God of redemption and saw an opportunity to help Ruth. Wash up, smell good, dress well, be courteous, pay attention to where he lies, go to where he is, uncover his feet, lie down, and wait. And she's not seducing him. Because if she was, wearing a cloak was not a strategic way about going on this mission. Right? Like the cloak is a wrapper, not like a... It's a, it's a wrapper. It's a covering garment that hid her identity. Right? This clothing was typical for this culture. It's typical of marriage clothing. Things are very different in Middle Eastern culture and tradition at this time. And it's very different from our Western tradition when it comes to marriage and the consummation of marriage. In the Western culture, in the Western custom, we tend to think seduction on our honeymoon night. Or So when it comes to dress, we, we tend to think lingerie. We tend to think bare flesh. That's what we tend to think. But it's not so in the Middle Eastern culture. What's very valued here is modesty and dignity and restraint. And those are highly valued things. So Ruth was dressed modestly. Verses 5 and 6, And she replied, All that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. So this humble girl in Ruth submitted to a wise Naomi's advice on how to approach Boaz. So imagine this young, vulnerable girl, because it's most likely that Ruth was a teenager. She's a teen. And she was in this foreign land, and she was told to go to propose to this man to be a redeemer in the midst of other men, not knowing for sure how he was going to react. And if she uncovered the feet of the wrong man, who knows what would happen to her. right? So you imagine the amount of trust she had in Naomi that this was the right thing to do. And you imagine the confidence that she had that this plan would actually work. And ultimately, this points to the trust that Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz had in God. That ultimately, what would unfold in the following verses was of God. And all of their trust would have to be on God. Naomi had a plan to a point. But there was this element of faith on her part because she didn't have every single detail worked out. You look back to verse 4, because the very end of her plan was what? He will tell you what to do. You know, that took a lot of faith from Naomi and Ruth. 
Right? Naomi planned out as much as she could do, worked out as many details as she could, but there were some things that she had no control over. And often that's where we find ourselves. There are things we can plan, there are details that we can work out, but there comes a point where that faith of ours needs to be exercised. When that last step is not fully within our control and we have to trust God with what happens next. So we encounter people who may find that there's this lack of progress in their life. And maybe there's this negative feeling within oneself about where they're at. That the lack of accomplishments within them is bothersome and that there isn't much to show in terms of what one has achieved in their life. And, you know, I'm in my 20s, I'm in my 30s, I'm in my 40s, and this is all I have to show for it. But the thing is, is that some of these people even call themselves Christians. So what happened? What happened along there? How did someone get to such a place even though they believe and trust in God? Well, maybe it's because they're waiting to iron out every single detail. Iron out all the details, get all the ducks in a row before moving forward with a good thing. And when we need to get all the details worked out before we move forward, what that may cause is a paralysis. That you just get stuck and not do much to move from where you're currently at to where you actually want to be. And often we don't have all the details. Often we can't work all the things out. And you know what? That's part of God's plan. Because if we had all the details, where does faith come into that? You don't have an opportunity to exercise faith if you have all the details. But there are those who have difficulty moving forward with things, even if they are good things, because they don't have all the details. And the lack of details has paralyzed them, even though it's often God's plan not to provide us with all the details, because He invites us to exercise our faith in Him. There are some people who are afraid to make mistakes. And it's that fear that may cause the paralysis and then nothing comes about doing with what they want to do. There may be fear that going down a certain path will lead them astray and instead of exercising faith, they rather just stay put. they rather just not do anything. And Naomi worked out as many of the details as possible, but there came an element of faith at the end of her plan because she had to say, he will tell you what to do. Because I, I, I don't know. From here, I don't know. But we can do what we can do. Now, Naomi had a lot of faith, as did Ruth. And this wasn't a plan where all the details were worked out. There was a big hole at the end where the end result was uncertain. And maybe someone here finds themselves in this type of a predicament. Maybe you find yourself in a stagnant place where you just kind of feel stuck. A place where you're just kind of wondering, man, is this it? I went to college, I got a good job, and and then is this it? Like... I don't know what I'm doing with my life. Where you find yourself in kind of a negative headspace because you're not where you want to be and you don't know how to move forward. I encourage you to take a look at Naomi and Ruth and dream a little bit. Dream. Dream without working out all your details. Just dream. Envision the possibilities without anything that can hold you back. Because God is for you. He is for you. And you need to look beyond your circumstances, beyond what's right in front of you, and let go of the things that are holding you back. You don't have to work all your details out. 
And whatever is suffocating your dreams, it's time to break that grip and to dream big again. Remember when you were a kid and you just dreamed big? Right? I'm going to own a horse. (laughs) Owning a horse is expensive and you don't realize that until you get older. But you, you know, you just dream big. You just don't even think about these things. And you bring them to a toy store. And the other day I brought my kid to Toys R Us because I like to put myself through that torture. And because um, it's, it's close to her birthday, and she was like, Dad, I want you to take me to a toy store to show me what you're going to buy me. Like, All right, let's go. And so she's down the aisle. She's like, I want this whole aisle. It's just a big dream. But for us to kind of seek what God has for us, to seek His will and to go out in faith, to take risks for the sake of the Gospel for the kingdom of God, and know that failure is just part of it. It's part of exercising faith. And if you knew, if you knew that you would always win, that you would always succeed, that you would never fail, where's the faith in that? There's no faith. You already know. Now Ruth had some details, but she didn't have all. At the end of her plan, this was totally out of her hands. He will tell you what to do. But she didn't let the lack of details paralyze her. She went on in faith, believing there was redemption for her and Naomi. She went out in obedience, in faith, in trust. And that's to be our faith in God, seeking redemption in God. But are we truly living lives of faith? Or or does everything have to be neatly packaged with all the details worked out before we make any movement towards God's calling or or godly desire that we have? How about we just dream big? Just dream big. And I say dream big because the bigger the dream, there seems to be a correlation with the bigger the faith you need. And he wants that. He wants us to have Big faith. And the greater the risk of failure, there seems to be a correlation with the greater amount of faith that's needed. And after the failures, because we will fail. That's part of faith. You know, not always will we fail, but there will be failure if we dream and we take risks. We have faith to go to our Redeemer because we have faith that He will tell you what to do. At that very end, He will tell you what to do. So how about living a life of faith? That thing that you thought about doing, that adventure you wanted to take, that place you considered visiting, that business you desired to start, that idea that you hoped to pursue, that cause you longed to fight for, that person you wished to talk to, because he or she's really cute. How about going for it? Just go for it. If it's not unethical, if it's not illegal, if it's not immoral. (laughs) Right? Why not? Right? I'm not saying go do a, I want to be the biggest drug dealer. No! Like, that's... But if God is not telling you no, why not? Why not? Faith doesn't allow us to have all the details. It doesn't. That's why it's called faith. You don't have all the details. Not knowing something in its entirety is part of that formula. It's part of that equation. And what's the alternative? You're stuck. You're just stuck. 
You're stagnant. You're waiting for something to happen that's probably not going to happen. And so when you play it safe, you have this likelihood that things are not going to be fulfilled in your life. Thinking you're all right, but inside you feel really uncomfortable with who you are and where you're at. Where things just seem blah. I couldn't even think of a better word. Like Blah is like the, the, the definitive word. But it doesn't have to be like that. And I encourage you to live a life of faith where you don't have to work out all the details and where a step of faith is necessary and it's taken. And the same goes for our church, where you and I are to be people of faith. The church is to be a community of faith. We can't play it safe. And there are times we need to take risks. And God wants us to be a community of faith, to dream big, to take risks. And you know, there are a group of high school students who smoke pot in our parking lot Monday through Friday. So after school, they'll come over and they're just smoking pot there. And I have no idea how our church is going to reach them. I have none. I don't have many details at all. I've just been praying for them. And I've just been trying my different detail work. It hasn't worked. And I've tried different things, right? I've tried going out there and offering them water and coffee. And, you know, they've just, like, laughed at me and, like, whatever. And, like, my self-image is just like, why why don't you just accept me? It's even good coffee, and I'm giving you bottled water and, like, all this. So my next idea is to bring them brownies. Because I've heard that brownies... And what they do are a good combination. So, and I've heard that it makes you hungry. I don't know any of this by experience. I've only smelt it because I live and work here, but I've never had that. But then I'm thinking, why not? Why not? Making brownies is not illegal or unethical or immoral. This is another risk on my part because they've already taken jabs at my self-esteem already because I've offered, ah, let's just laugh. But I hope and I pray that those kids have a relationship with Jesus. And it'd be so awesome to have some 20, 30 high kids, high 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 school kids come to the Lord. And there's also a, a group of street skaters that come to our parking lot. And maybe some of you have bumped into them or maybe some of them have bumped into your car. Every Sunday, our car alarm goes off and it's them. But you know what? I've met guys from Denmark and Germany, and Japan, and Australia, like all over the world. I've met them skating in our parking lot. I find it to be the most odd thing. But you know what? Professional skaters have skated there. Our parking lot, they've used it for like skate videos, and it's been in magazines. I mean, it's a cool thing. So we've gone out there, some staff people and I, we've gone out there, and we've hung out with them. We've given them the bottled water and the coffee, and and we've let them use our bathrooms instead of going out there but we just kind of did what we could do with our details and that's about all that we could do just going out in faith praying hoping for something to happen and trying things and taking risks and we've failed all those times i mean we've we've even given them popsicles the orange sickles i mean those are good and they still don't care so we go back to our redeemer and he will tell us what to do That's our faith. We can only do so much and then we have to go back and he will tell us what to do. So it would be wonderful for those high school kids and those skaters to have a relationship with Jesus. And and I hope our church 
to dream good things for our community, to dream some really cool things, to hope, and I hope for you, and, and, and I hope that you dream good things for yourself as well, to exercise faith because our hope requires us to take risks, and as we fail, we go back to our Redeemer, and He will tell us what to do. Verse 7, And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap again. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. Boaz went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. You recall, this is the time of the judges. And in the time of the judges, it's just a really unstable time for the Israelites. A ton of crime, a ton of corruption, just a lot of things that aren't settled during this time. So thieves would come knowing that, hey, look at that. Look at these guys are winnowing and threshing and all this grain that they have. Let's go there and take it. Well, we will steal that. And so this is what Boaz was doing. He was just there sleeping to guard his grain along with his men spread out to guard the crop that they just harvested, that they just winnowed and threshed. So then Ruth walked softly over to where Boaz was, uncovered his feet, and lay down. He had cold feet before he was going to marry her. But anyway, verses 8 and 9, we move on. At a bomb's joke. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay down at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. It's dark. It's really dark. And why was Boaz there? To protect his crop, to guard his crop against thieves. So of course he's startled. He's afraid that, oh man, someone here to take my stuff. So he asks, who are you? Because if it was one of his guys, he'd ask, you know, what do you want? But if he had no answer, he was probably going to bop him over the head. But then he heard this woman's voice. And it was Ruth identifying herself because it was dark and she was dressed like a ninja. So she identified herself as his servant and goes straight into saying, spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. Now, did Naomi tell Ruth to say that? She didn't. She just told her, he will tell you what to do. But before Boaz could say anything, she said, spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. Ruth was proposing to Boaz. Now in this culture, the spreading of the garment over a widow signified claiming her as your wife. Now even today, Jews signify marriage by the man throwing the end of his talit, a garment, the outer garment, over her, which symbolizes that he has taken his wife under his protection. Now this is a picture of God used in relation to Israel in Ezekiel chapter 16 verse 8. It reads this, When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and it entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Verse 10, Ruth chapter 3, And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. Boaz knows what's up here. Boaz knows what Ruth is suggesting he knew exactly what she was doing. And he told her, you have made this last kindness greater than the first. This kindness is in reference to how Ruth had been treating Naomi. She was a young woman who could have left Naomi on her own a long time ago and pursued marriage. But she was kind to Naomi and stayed to care for her. 
And Boaz told Ruth his realization that, you know, she could go marry a younger man because there was no obligation for her to carry on Elimelech's name. Ruth was Elimelech's daughter-in-law, not his wife. So there was this provision in the law for her, but there was no obligation for Ruth to carry on the name of Elimelech. And here we get a further glimpse into Ruth's character. This young lady in her early teens and a, a beautiful picture of godly character. Someone who was faithful and loyal, compassionate, generous, committed, full of integrity, persistent, determined, a person of her word. She told Naomi in Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. From where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death departs me from you. And she kept her word. Verse 11, And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Another glimpse into Ruth's character. All the fellow townsmen know her to be a worthy woman, a person of strength, a person of moral strength, ability, power, integrity, virtue. But then there's this hurdle that Boaz needs to jump over. Verse 12, And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. There is a redeemer that needs to be considered before Boaz. Boaz is also a person of character, and he is going to aim to do things in an honorable, honest way. Verse 13, Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Boaz was going to do what he can so that Ruth could be his wife. And then he told her to lie down until morning because he's concerned for her well-being. Right? He didn't want her to head back home in the dark where she could possibly run into a thief because that's why they're out there. Or get hurt by one of the men because she was mistaken for a thief. So, not the greatest of options. I mean, it's not above reproach, right? I mean, it's kind of sketchy. Like, what? She's going to stay there? Because that perception is not good. Right? If one of the men came up and saw that, that's not a good perception. But you know what? It's the greater good. Out of the options available, that was the greater good. And sometimes for Christians, not everything's black and white. Sometimes you have to look at a situation and sometimes they're not all ideal. And so you have to look at the greater good. And in this case, is it better for him to send Ruth on her way in the dark when we don't know if there are thieves and I don't know if my guys are going to make a mistake and I don't know what's going to happen to her and we want to get married. It's better for her to stay here. And it's better for her so that I know that she's cared for. Verse 14, So she lay at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. So Boaz was concerned for her character. He did care about that. And he and Ruth knew that what happened could be perceived as dishonorable, even though nothing happened between them. But to preserve what the truth was, they were going to keep it between them. 
Verses 15 through 17. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Boaz didn't send her home empty-handed. Ruth asked for Boaz to spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer to protect. And the six measures of barley were a sign of provision. See, that's our redeemer Jesus. The the one who protects and the one who provides. And then she went home and she told Naomi all that Boaz had done for her. You notice that? She told all. Nothing shady happened there. Nothing to hide from Naomi as Naomi understood why Ruth was there and knew Boaz to be a man of integrity. And she disclosed all. It's not like she was being secretive and, you know, I can't say that part or whatever. She disclosed all. There's nothing that is not transparent here. Like this is fully above board. In verse 18, she replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Boaz was going to work at redeeming Ruth in an honorable way without delay. Naomi knew Boaz was going to work at getting things taken care of right away. And we'll get into the rest of the story next week. But in closing, do you see Jesus in this story? Do you see the parallels between who Jesus is and who Boaz was? They're both redeemers. Jesus is our Redeemer who looks to redeem us without delay. Right? Ruth went to Boaz with nothing. She went to him as a foreigner, just as we come to Jesus with nothing. We're foreigners. She positioned herself at the feet of Boaz in need of mercy and in need of grace, just as we position ourselves at the feet of Jesus in need of His mercy and His grace. She was covered by his garment as a sign of protection which gave her peace, security, contentment, just as we are covered by Jesus' blood, protecting us from judgment, giving us peace, security, contentment. Ruth was given provision by Boaz, just as we are given provision from Jesus. Boaz accepted Ruth as his bride, just as Jesus accepts us as his bride. And so it's amazing how God works. The story is a true story. It's not some fictional thing. And it's amazing how God uses this true, non-fictional story to present to us a real story of what is currently happening between us and Jesus. See, the Bible is so rich. It is so deep. And over 1,000 years before Jesus incarnate was born from the Virgin Mary, the story already foreshadowed his place in the lives of his people in 2013. And then 2,000 years after his birth, this story is still speaking to the need of Jesus' place in our lives. Now, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus this morning, he is looking to redeem you without delay. If you've already accepted a relationship with Jesus, remember that He loves you. That even if you feel maybe you're stagnant or maybe you feel like you're not progressing somewhere, that He loves you and He's for you. And that there's an element of faith that needs to be incorporated in your life. You don't have all the details. 
So I'm hoping that that encourages you to step out in those steps of faith. That you don't need all the details because when you fail, because you will, but you need to take risks to exercise that faith, go back to your Redeemer and He will tell you what to do. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. God, thank You so much for entrusting us with faith, that we are to be people of faith. Lord, I pray for anyone here who does not have a relationship with You. May they take that risk. May they take that step of faith. May You draw them to You, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen.